You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements. You need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at Brex.com. Well, here we are at the third and final episode of my feature on the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Today's guest, Michael McBride, a dancer with the company for 10 years who also found the love of his life. He didn't care if you were black, white, purple, yellow, green, whatever. It was, he wanted to see the dancer. He wanted to see you through the movement. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It, featuring conversations with fellow creatives about the realities of a career in the performing arts. The website winmepodcast.com and on Twitter and Instagram the account is also under winmepodcast that's W-I-N-M-I podcast on the show today is Michael McBride who actually retired from the Alvin Ailey Dance Company last year after dancing with them for 10 years on tour both nationally and internationally as well as performing here in new york city which is where i saw him in fact he and last week's guest samantha figgins danced together well you're in for a treat with samantha because her family is like if you want to talk about a performing family her sister dion was in the dance theater of harlem and then she's been in multiple broadway shows samantha's twin sister janelle was in the dance theater of harlem as well now is in aspen santa fe ballet Samantha is doing Ailey. She did Complexions. It's like the whole family's amazing. So if you haven't already checked out that episode, make sure to listen to my conversation with Samantha. For today, we'll be going into a bit more in-depth of the training at Alvin Ailey, as well as what tour life was like on the road, seven or eight months out of the year. But unlike Samantha, who came to Ailey from another professional dance company, Michael was a student at the combined program between Fordham University and the Ailey School. So the Ailey School is a um, dance institution here in New York. It's actually one of the build- largest buildings dedicated to dance in the U.S. And you take all your dance classes um, at the Ailey School, and then you take all your academics at Fordham University, at Link- the campus at Lincoln Center. So it's a five-block walk, and you're constantly hustling and bustling down Ninth Avenue. 
Though primarily a company of black dancers, Ailey has been open to all dancers of any gender or race. And so, as a Caucasian, Michael shares the challenge and responsibility of carrying on the legacy of Alvin Ailey as a member of this esteemed company. But having a career as a professional dancer was something that Michael didn't always aspire to initially, or really knew anything about when he was growing up. So actually, I come from a pretty naive um, place. I grew up in upstate New York, near Binghamton, about three hours northwest of the city. And I didn't really know much at all about concert dance growing up. I knew that I enjoyed dancing. I was in musical theater productions growing up, and I trained as a dancer, but I didn't know anything about concert dance, um, dance for as the art itself, which was beautiful for me. And I, so at the end of high school, I started auditioning for colleges and Fordham Ailey or Ailey Fordham kind of came up as high on my list because the academic program and the dance program were pretty equal and I was still unsure what a dance degree would offer me. And so I auditioned for the school, the Ailey School um, and their Bachelor of Fine Arts program and that audition for the school was the first time I ever put on tights for a ballet class ever in my life. And so even I was coming from musical theater. That was never a thing. No, I was terrified. I also used to, like when my studios were on con like t- linoleum over concrete. And then I danced in an old um, historic schoolhouse. So it was like hardwood floors. So the Ailey building has these beautiful state of the art sprung floors mm-hmm. with, with Marley on top. First time I had danced on a sprung floor, I was a hot mess at that school audition, but I was smiling to my heart's content and I somehow got into the school and I learned what the company, the school was when I showed up my freshman year in 2006, fall of 2006. Yeah. And so you had to do both, uh, you had to be approved or admitted into Fordham as well as Ailey. So it was like a double process with that? Yeah. So you have to apply to both institutions separately um, with a joint um, kind of acknowledgement that you're looking to get into the dance department. And so Fordham has to accept you on its own. Ailey has to accept you on its own. And then they come together and talk about maybe financial aid or whatever it may be. But it... Um, it's definitely two separate things and they come together through one department. And you'd mentioned that you started in musical theater. So what led you to then pursue just dance as an art form itself rather than incorporated in the theater setting? So people from my hometown will joke that a lot of, um, what is it like show choir and the musical productions Mm -hmm. always had a arbitrary, arbitrary Michael McBride dance number in it because I was like the male dancer in the small town and not unfortunately it led me to wonderful things I was a had a very high voice for very long Um, I was lucky in high school to um, be blessed with puberty late and so (laughs) I was I think still a soprano one in sophomore year or something crazy so I was a boy soprano until ninth grade so I I feel you yeah and so my voice dropped late and I so with that I always got kind of 
subsequent roles, I was never like the leading man of the musical numbers. I, um, like, I think my senior year was the largest role, or I guess my junior and senior year, I did Tin Man and I did The Jester in Once Upon a Mattress. So I was dance roles. I did tap dance. I did a, um, a pretty big dance number, but it was more talk singing so, because my voice was still fluctuating so much. So I never felt super comfortable um, towards the end of my high school career to just sing. And that, those auditions scared me so much more than dancing. And it really was more about the performance aspect. My, um, my father told me when we sat down to figure out what I wanted to do when, with the rest of my life, right? When you're 16 or 17 and you're yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to decide this now. Um, he asked me, well, what I lost track of time doing. And, and all I could ever think about was performing because it's one of those few things that you go out on stage and 45 minutes goes and it's done. Um, and so I knew that performance was the thing and dance was such a huge passion of mine. And I, so I explored that and, and I went for just that and it was amazing. And the conservatory feel that um, the Ailey School provides was so rigorous. I was dancing 8.30 in the morning to 8.30 at night every day with intermittent academics. It was crazy, but it was really amazing. And I couldn't have kind of stumbled upon it any, I couldn't be luckier. But as far as making a living as just a dancer, it's hard enough for actor singers to kind of do it. To just do dance and be a part of a dance company, I would imagine there's a lot of competition to fill those few slots. Yes, definitely. I think that I am a rare example. I count myself highly, highly lucky, favored. Um, Timing worked out for me in the best way that it possibly ever could. I, at the end of my junior year of college, the Ailey School director at the time was Denise Jefferson, they post a list of the exceptional students that they would like to audition for the first company. And my name was on the list to my surprise. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Usually that means that this, uh, Ailey two, the second company of Alvin Ailey American dance foundation, their director would be looking at you. And so maybe that could lead to, um, a position with Ailey two, which is only 12 dancers of just out of school or, still kind of in that in-between pre-professional and professional. And so I went and I was so excited. And and that was the day I got hired. I it was like, I think it was my third audition, professional audition ever, um, second for a dance company. And um, Judith Jamison was sitting in the front of the room and by the, I was sweating. I was so nervous the whole day, like flew by. And at the end, they called three numbers and we're standing there and I'm just like, okay, well, this is fun still. I don't know, still don't know what's happening. Like multiple cuts have happened. I'm 20. So I'm really like bright eyed and just really excited. And she goes down the line and like, I was the third and she was like, well, do you have a problem signing the contract to two other gentlemen? And then she asked me and I just looked around the room and I was like, are you for real? Um, to Judith Jamison, it's something that you would never ask her. Um, she is the most stoic, beautiful, like incredibly like, oh, she fills the room before she walks into it. And so I, 
then came the waterworks when I was like, yeah, of co- I was like, of course, I ran around, I hugged every single person I didn't know <laughs> in the entire room. My, the director of the collegiate program I was in was in the studio and like she was one of the final hugs. I hugged her and then I realized who I was hugging and I pulled away and I was like, but I'm still graduating. I'm still getting my degree, right? And she was like, yes, we'll work everything out. And I was like, great, because there's no way <laughs> that I'm going through school and not getting my degree. So Right, and not finishing. Yeah. yeah. Now, oh, my God. It- yeah, I, I can only imagine because uh, Judith Jameson is one of the one of the few remaining with the company that knew Alvin Ailey and worked under him, but she just brings her own presence, her own charm, but also as, as you said that that stoicism, that strength to a room. And what was it like then, not just auditioning for her, but then working with and for her? So much of what. Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater is today is because of her. Um, Mr. Ailey passed in 1989 and she took the company over for 21 years and she kind of turned it into this empire that it is now. It's She's the reason that the, there's a building dedicated to the company and she just exudes so much in everything and every moment that she is a part of. And so... I guess for me, she, it was always so, not intimidating because there was this motherly air about her as well. Like she definitely knew that I was a young dancer coming into the company and wanted to make sure that I could hold my own, but she pushed and she really worked with you and pushed each dancer individually. Um, I was fortunate enough. I was hired by her and danced for her for two years as her as artistic director. And then when she retired, I danced under artistic director Robert Battle. And he's Mm -hmm. been the artistic director of the company since. And so I find myself very fortunate to have seen that transition in the company's history and to be a part of it and to be a part of the legacy now, one thing that sticks out is that Alvin Ailey has, is certainly known as a predominantly black company. But one thing that I discovered was that in 1962, Alvin Ailey opened it up and said he wanted it to be a multiracial company. How does that work within the company itself, this, this multiracial ideal that Alvin Ailey himself wanted? I think the most beautiful thing about Mr. Ailey and all of the things that I've heard about him is that he he wanted to give people who didn't have the opportunity to be on stage that opportunity. And for that time and still today, um, the person of color is not represented equally on stage. And I think that that was amazing that he had that foresight to push and to use his stories as growing up um, in Rogers, Texas, being born in in the thirties and really growing up Um, He drew from his blood memories, he calls, in all of his works. And so his dancers needed to be able to convey his messages, his art form. And so the people he related most to were people who had the same upbringing or who could relate to his messages. And he wanted to also curate a company that had choreographers from all over. And so these dancers needed to be 
um, athletes of God. They needed to be able to do anything they needed to perform. They needed to be able to perform, dance, and be as versatile as possible. Mm. And he had been quoted saying at one point, the only colors that should be separated are in your laundry. And he didn't care if you were black, white, purple, yellow, green, whatever. It was, he wanted to see the dancer. He wanted to see you through the movement. And that's what he related to. And I think that is still to this day what they look for in their dancers because it is so important to show the wide range of humanity on stage. And Ailey, at the time, you have to remember that Ailey in the 60s and 70s was touring to Japan, to India, to South Africa before apartheid. Like They were going all over and they were the cultural ambassadors for American art. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. Like it was the highest dream, right? Like imagine that Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater represents this country. I think that that is incredible and beautiful. And I think that Mr. Ailey wanted that and that's what his goal was. And so being a part of it was just like the day to day, I never noticed anything. I um, I mean, I was just part of the room. We all right. fought to try to get the parts and we all, you know, um, we're dancing together and enjoying our time on stage, traveling the world. But um, so in the room, it never felt different. But when it came to um, audience engagement and things, you realized how important the mission of the company was and what it was doing for the audiences. And what was that difference? Because one, you're at Fordham, you're training, you're getting that degree that you finally got, and then you become a company member. What was the difference in either the, the style of dance or what was expected of you as you made that transition? So in college, you're taking these techniques, you're taking Horton, you're taking Graham, you're taking ballet, and then you're learning repertory in the evening. And it's all built for you. Your schedule's built for you. And similarly, Ailey had it nicely because their schedule was pretty intact. But the difference was that they offered a company class um, that, so at 10.30 in the morning till 11.50, there was company class Monday through Friday when we were in rehearsals. And that's your time as the dancer to get ready, to prepare your body, to do anything that you need to do. And they offer a ballet class or a modern class to help warm you up. And then from noon until seven is repertory. They're throwing all new choreography or revivals. Ailey is unlike any company in the world right now. They're, the company was doing, I want to say, almost 200 performances a year, traveling six or seven months. And with each season, bringing in six to ten new ballets. And so the turnaround was so fast. Each choreographer only had three weeks with the company to kind of either set a work or create a new work. And so we were just asked to produce, produce, produce. And so... With that, that, that's completely different from college. In college, you were, you're honing your skills. You're trying to navigate your body and learn your body so that when thrown into a professional environment, you're equipped with all of the skill set you may need to, to produce and to perform 
eight shows a week. So everything that you had learned from the conservatory was now going to, and in those three weeks of rehearsal, that's what was going to be on tour. Um, so nothing from the conservatory. I had to learn nine new, or we, as the four of us that were hired that day, had to learn nine ba- full-length ballets that would be performed the f- in three weeks from then. Wow. I mean, I'm used to, you know, a show going up in, in three weeks in musical theater, but I can only imagine nine full pieces in, in that amount of time. It must have been crazy. But, because you must get them all mixed up. Like, wait, wait, was that from this ballet? Which one was that in? It was definitely, it was, especially because I didn't know Revelations. Many of the company hires are from Ailey too. And so they've already done Revelations. So that's at least a notch in their belt. But I was coming home so tired, just staring at videos, trying to make sure that I knew what was going to happen the next day and just going in and, you know, you don't sleep much those first few weeks and it is the hardest work you'll ever do, but you, you get through it. And if you do... <laughs> then you're good. The history, the artistry that goes into that work when it was originally done, but then as it's carried through over these decades, must stick with any dancer who gets the privilege to perform it. Yes. Mr. Ailey's masterwork, Revelations, choreographed in 1960. It was a very different time. And so to think about who has danced it before us as the members of the company, and it was, it was heavy. It was trying to live up to how many people have seen this, this work and who's going to remember from 1975, they saw Judith Jamison carry that umbrella and will the person they see today exude that same feeling for them. And I think that was what we all hoped. We would continue that energy and that drive and that legacy. And and with each section, there was so much to learn and to grow. And a lot of people don't know that most of the company members know almost all of the different sections and were constantly swapped in and out. Um, even in the last section, yellow section, you don't find out where you are on the stage for that last section until that day, because we're just half, we're fluid in where we are on stage. And, and so it's, it's amazing, but it's definitely, it is heavy. And to try to um, produce that um, and to know the weight of the work and to try to portray that, um, I think, um, I quote Hope Boykin, who is a dan- who just retired, and she danced with the company 20 years. She always said that it was from, from struggle into surrender and on to salvation is what Revelations really um, speaks about. And I always think that that's a beautiful way to talk about it. When you're singing, when you're speaking, that's certainly one very uh, tangible way to, to, to express an idea and tell a story. But when there are no words and you just have your body, what is that different type of storytelling like? I think it's so similar. It's just being able to open our minds to kind of that thought. I have a vocal coach that has written on little note cards, different um, emotions, right? And so while I'm singing, she'll hand me a 
um, a note card and it will say something completely different and it'll be like schizophrenia for singing. And so you have to figure out how you're doing it with your voice and how you're doing it. And I think the same thing happens when you're dancing. The idea of struggle, the weight of the body versus the idea of jubilation and fun and the, the feeling that you're, how your chest opens, how your chest contracts, how the weight of each step, um, the reach of your arm, if you're really yearning for something versus not, I think so much is done in day-to-day -day life in nonverbal communication that dance really is a part of all of us and we have so much of it in our day-to-day. -day. It's just opening your eye to see the, the beauty in the small movements. And that is certainly something that comes through with the, the choreographic pieces, whether they're the, the classic works or new works. And as these works are being taught, uh, modernistic, contemporary, but yet ballet-based style to it, is that honed in so that each dancer performs this style or how much individuality is allowed within that process? I think there's a lot of individuality. I think that each of us is uniquely ourselves when we're hired. I think the difference is that only someone who's been in the company would know the demand that is to go in one night to go from a Wayne McGregor, who he is the um, resident choreographer at the Royal Ballet in the United Kingdom, to Rennie Harris, who is a hip hop and house choreographer from Philadelphia, into Alvin Ailey, a classic modern work from the 1960s, to have to go through that versatility and that variety in one two hour performance is something so specific and real to um, an Ailey dancer that we all have to kind of, we all produce similarly on stage, I guess, because we all sur are surviving and thriving in how much we're performing, how much we're doing, the versatility of what we're doing. Unlike a ballet company where some people might just be standing, there's no standing most of the time. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no um, just atmospheric dancing. We're all on stage moving and grooving all night long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And part of it isn't just the New York performances that I've seen, but I have also seen a performance in Chicago. So the company does tour around the country. Is every member a part of the touring company or do some people just do certain cities? How does that work? So the company is comprised of 31 or 32 dancers now. Um, the... Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater is the touring company. It is the first company is what we refer to it as. And it travels about six or seven months out of the year. And with that comes three semi-trucks full of goods, including the floors we perform, the curtains you see, the lighting on stage, the costumes, all of the dancers, um, soft goods, rehearsal clothes, all of that. Plus it comes with 25 crew members. So... We're about 50 people traveling all the time, and it was about six or seven months out of the year, both domestically and internationally. Uh, the company usually operated on the schedule that the first week of February, last week of January, they would leave for their um, continental US and Canadian tour. That would last until Mother's Day in May, and then rehearsals would either be in the summer or in the fall, and 
depending on when rehearsals are, is the opposite would be a two month um, international stint going. My first tour was Paris for a month and then Copenhagen and Athens. Uh, we've gone, in my tenure, we were in Tel Aviv, we were in Rio and Sao Paulo and South Africa and St. Petersburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having done musical theater tour, I, I love to travel. I love to see new cities, especially the international places that you've been to. But after a while, you can only see so many hotel rooms and you're like, can I just have a home cooked meal, please? So I, it, it must get as, as much as you enjoy performing, the, the rigors of touring life can certainly wear you down. Definitely. And actually, Ailey has a lot of dancers that do like hotel room cooking. Because if you're for, or forced, if you're asked to be in a unitard in front of thousands of people on a day, or <laughs> daily, sometimes you can't go out at 1030 and eat dinner at whatever's open. So it definitely became tough um, living out of hotel, but Airbnb had been really helpful and kind of creating little homes depending on where we were. Um, I was also, again, very, very fortunate. I found the love of my life while dancing in the company right. and we toured together, um, which was amazing. Yeah, what was it that brought the two of you together? Well, we were actually hired the same day. Mm. And so it took a a few years before we, we were always cordial, very friendly. Um, we were roommates in the beginning on tour um, as um, least senior dancers, you have to have roommates. And so we got paired up and we were um, on tour, but Sam had a lot of friends in the company already. He went to Juilliard with some people who were already in the company and he had performed professionally from years before. So he, he knew the scene. And so he enjoyed the nightlife. We like to say, and I was out bright and early first thing with my camera going around. Cause I had never left the country. So we were great as roommates because we operated on different schedules and, you know, it was good. And um, my second year in the company, I lost my sister. She passed away. And mm. um, about two weeks after she passed, I had to leave. Um, I basically went from the funeral onto a plane to London for a over 10 week international tour. And so, um, as you could imagine, I was grieving quite heavily. And one night after a performance, I just didn't want to reach out to any like specific, anyone specific, but I knew that I just needed, I couldn't be alone. So I just was like, we're going to go to dinner now. And he didn't have a choice. And so we sat down and that night um, we had burgers or something and we chatted and we realized for the first time that we had so much more in common in kind of our socioeconomic upbringing, in um, our family lives, all of these things that, you know, um, gain friendships. And so we continued to be, fr or then we kind of developed a friendship then, which was beautiful. Um, and then it took a little bit longer. And then we started secretly dating for about a year because, you know, we travel so much. We're surrounded by a very large family, extended right. family, 50 people all the time. 24 hours a day, seven months, <laughs> or, um, you know, like seven months out of the year. Um, and what was the reason to keep it secret at that time? I just, it was, we wanted to make sure it was real before 
bringing in all the extra hubbub. And yeah. so we did, we kept it secret and it was for the best. Um, and then by the end, it just kind of got out and we just were less, um, you know, hush hush, less like lurking in corners um, <laughs> on tour and stuff. And so, and th- it's been great. And we, um, so May 12th, uh, 2019 was our final performance at New- New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. And May 12th was the final performance. May 18th, we got on a plane and we left for three months on our honeymoon. We That's quite went, a honeymoon. Wow. We wanted a reset. We wanted a micro retirement, we called it as well. Um, we went to Australia for eight days, into Sydney, only Sydney actually. We went to Sydney for eight days and then we went to New Zealand for three weeks and we drove from the south to the north with the ferry between. Then we went to India for a month and then we went to Italy for a month. Then we came back to New York wow. and had a month before our wedding. We finished preparations and got married in mid-September. So we've done everything backwards, engaged then bought the apartment, then went on a honeymoon, got married last. <laughs> spent all the money. <laughs> right, right, right. Spent all that money you'd saved up. Right, right. And then did the, did what we could with whatever was left for the wedding. <laughs> right, right. So you have since retired from the company. And what is a post-retirement Alvin Ailey dancer? What is on the horizon for such a, a performer? Well, so that was the thing that was so interesting um, because I say like I've retired from Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater and I'm still quite young. I'm um, 31 and I do not intend to stop performing anytime soon. But I do know that Ailey wasn't the end for me and Ailey could have been the end for me because I could, I was happy there. It was incredible the journey, the travel, all of that was great. Um, the mission, but had I stayed longer than 10 years, I probably would have been stuck um, and just stayed there till 20 because the, the, I could live off of it. The pay was great, all of these things, but I was, if I was going to make a career shift, I was going to do it then and now. And so that's what I'm on now. I um, I would like to, now that my voice has settled after all these years, <laughs> I, um, I do intend on um, pursuing a career in musical theater and potentially Broadway. I, and maybe TV and film, if that comes my way. I, I'm keeping my avenues open, but still dancing, still enjoying. And I would still love to perform uh, for smaller companies. And I don't, I don't count myself as done on stage at all. I just, I think I needed a new, new start. Have you found success in, in the last year since you left the company? Have you been able to find success doing that? I kind of, right before the pandemic hit, um, Sam, my husband and I, we had sat down and we were like, okay, we've kind of navigated, like we have four months booked, like whether it was like, you know, teaching gigs or things to like sustain. I'm judging a competition here or there, but I was supposed to fly out was going to be doing Era Rock Lyceum. Um, they were doing two, oh, two yeah. shows in Missouri. Um, and that was going to be my first like gig. Um, I think it's, I'm finally at a place now that I'm not uncomfortable singing in, in these auditions. I think it took 
all this time to just kind of, because nobody tells you what to do. Nobody tells you like, well, stand here and actually, and like, it's okay to move a little bit. I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm not a park and barker. Like that doesn't exist. I was like, so, yeah. so I'm finally like finding the groove of like singing in that because I mean, as a dancer, I wasn't using my voice at all. I mean, singing in the oh, house course, and stuff, yeah. but not in front of people. So, and it's very different when the judgmental eyes of the panel are just like, after seeing 12,000 12, people that day, you're like, okay, this is. <laughs> I've always said that the art of auditioning is is a far different skill set than doing it on stage. It's just a different beast altogether. You you kind yeah. of have to give no fucks. Or, sorry, pardon me, but it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you do. So, so, that's, um, so I got used to that. And so there was... There were a few things coming down the pipeline that I was excited about, but now we'll see. I mean, the arts world is going to be very different. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be an interesting summer. Yeah. Everything is interesting. Zoom teaching is awful and, you know, doing, but... I can't imagine trying to teach dance through Zoom. It's it's awful. <laughs> it's like, because right yeah. now it, you're like this, you're in the screen, like trying to see people. You're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, because you're trying to watch everyone, but then they have questions and they need you to go over that section again. And and but you're you're looking at sixty people on your screen and you're like, which right. which one of you? I don't and know. And so that's a whole it's a whole nother beast. And now my dining room is my dance studio, which is ridiculous. I mean, yesterday I taught a jazz class and I was like, I am so tired of not being able to actually move anywhere. Like every combination is like within a four by four because nobody it's no idea there you go there you go that that's all you need literally you just need a dining room and, exactly and that's because that's all you can move exactly. yeah. <laughs> you know listening to these three episodes on alvin ailey you've certainly been able to see or at least figure out my affinity and love of this dance company but specifically the iconic revelations dance piece once this company is back on the road, please make a point of seeing them if they happen to be in a city near you. In the meantime, you can go to YouTube or their website for ways to watch this beautiful and stirring choreographic masterpiece. Links to it can be found in the show notes. Well, just like last week, today's episode will end with Michael answering the final five questions, rather than them being set aside as a separate bonus episode. I... I'm curious, do you like this change, you know, with the final five as part of the main episode rather than on their own? Let me know. Well, I certainly hope you have enjoyed this look at Alvin Ailey, both the man and his dance company. He had such a strong voice for storytelling, a unique and gifted talent, and a passionate point of view that still rings loud and clear to this day. What do you think of Ailey? What has stood out to you the most in these three episodes? I would love to hear from you, your, your thoughts on these episodes, or even the podcast as a whole. You can reach out to me via the website, and there's also a way to support Why I'll Never Make It by going to donate.winmepodcast.com. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and I leave you now with Michael McBride answering the final five questions. So, Michael, number one, if you could have any other job outside of the arts, what would that be? It's an interesting question. I ask myself that a lot these days during this COVID pandemic. I have found mm -hmm. most 
interestingly, I really love spending time in my home and I have created all of the decorating projects. I've in, uh, we've reupholstered dining room chairs. We've retiled a kitchen table. I've painted many walls in my apartment that didn't need painting. I just decided that they needed a fresh coat or a new color. Um, I do think that design is a part of me. And so design, carpentry, I made, I've built some things. I don't know. I um, Performing is something that I give so much of myself and there's not necessarily a concrete um, outcome. And so it would be, I think I find a lot of joy in designing and creating things that are, you know, brick and mortar tangible. So part of me is saying something that way, but I also feel that I'm a good, um, I'm really good at helping people come to understand or figure out what's next or what they need and kind of facilitating um, other people's things. So I'm trying to pay attention to what I'm really good at and what I find joy in. And hopefully that'll lead me to a career that I would do if I wasn't performing because as a performer, I don't, I think that we're constantly asked to recreate ourselves and I don't think that I'll perform forever. And so at some point I'll have to start over again. It's just a constant thing. And I think that's great. I think that um, constantly reinventing ourselves and constantly finding new passions is what continues to drive us. Yeah, absolutely. So before that, that retirement, before you move on, what is a bucket list role or show that you hope to do now that you're moving into musical theater land? So I could say that I want to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not even going to throw anything out um, because I do. I go to Broadway shows. I cry at all of them, even if they're not sad. Like, I'm so happy. I feel like when they're doing big, big sing songs, like numbers, I'm just like so involved. And I'm, I, you know, podcast, you can't see how involved I am right now. I'm very much like. <laughs> he is moving. He is moving a lot. <laughs> gesturals and just you know I get the grin from ear to ear and it's just something so I would love to be a part of something new I think that that's always something that all um, performers love to like have and be a part of something from the creation but that's not to say that I wouldn't love to be in anything that's in Broadway or that they're a revival of something I think that whatever comes my way I'm going to be very very excited about (laughs) nice Nice. (laughs) all right number three who do you look up to as a mentor or someone who inspires you so i will say that my mother is a huge huge she's been my number one advocate from the beginning and i really do owe so much to her so i as like just somebody i always will hold in my heart forever my mother um Earl Mosley um, of, uh, was a Horton teacher, a modern Horton teacher at the Ailey School while I was there. And he, after my freshman year of college, he asked me to assist him as he set a piece on the company, on the Ailey company. And so that was my first introduction to the front of the room. That was the first time I met Judith Jamison or Masazumi Chaya or Ronnie Favors, and they knew who I was. And so that was such a huge thing for them to follow me a little bit and for me to be able to interact with them more closely. So I would owe so much mm. of my time at Ailey to that introduction alone. And 
Matthew Rushing, who is the newest, or he is the new associate artistic director of the Ailey Company. He, he is a performer. He just left so much on, on the stage. He would give his whole body. He is a dancer's dancer. It is really incredible to watch. And he danced for the company for over 25 years. Um, there are just so many people that are breaking boundaries and doing things that are really amazing. So I look up to, I try to see the beauty in each person that I meet and how I, I can be affected by their greatness. And I think that that's something that we all should do. We should all push each other um, to be better. And I think that that's, so not one, but multiple, multiple answers. <laughs> many people inspiring Mr. Michael McBride. That's right. That's right. Well, speaking of those people that inspire you, so number four, what is a, a lesson or a trait in yourself that took you a while to learn or maybe one that you're still working on today? Listen more, talk less. Uh, mm -hmm. It is really, your opinion isn't needed all the time. And I think that I... During my 20s, I was very outspoken and good, in a good way. I um, definitely helped. I was a part of union negotiations at Ailey for um, three or four times every time they came around, and that was helpful. Um, but also, I could use to shut up sometimes and really listen and hear what's happening and um, take it in. And there's so much to be done when you can actually listen and hear what's happening. Was there a time that you can think of that you didn't shut up that was a really big moment of like, oh, I need to be quiet? I don't know. I just don't think that I, I don't have one specific time, but I do. It's just come up several times in my life. And I feel like as a middle child or suffering from middle child syndrome that is like, look at me all the time. I, I need to like pull back and, you know, um, this time as well in the pandemic has been so great because um, someone who I'm find myself to classify as a natural extrovert. Um, I am trying to find introverted ways in myself as well as figuring out how to, I drive pleasure and energy and, drive for myself and my daily activities through my interactions with people. And so the best way to do that is to listen to them. Which leads to the last question, which is what is the, the best or uh, the most memorable advice that you've received? So I'm going to go back to my dad right before college. I think that he said to really find what I lost track of time doing and really pay attention to those things. Because if you lose track of time doing it, it means that it's innately enjoyable within you and it's something to pursue. And so I think that it's constantly come up in my life and I keep trying to do that. I kind of, I try to see what it is that I think a minute's gone by and it's been three hours to try to navigate where I should go next or what I should be more interested in or like what I'm what my next passion project is because I think that if we can all be listen to ourselves and see what it is that is within us 
and what our natural strengths are, it can only improve everything. I think that there's more joy, there's more happiness, and with that is greatness. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.